For those of you who uh, haven't met or haven't heard uh, Kate before, um, uh, Kate is ordained priest in the Church of England. Um, uh, She uh, is currently serving her curacy uh, at a church in Brighton called St. Matthias. Um, But alongside that, and for many years now, uh, she's been one of the directors of Mind and Soul Foundation, uh, particularly um, uh, uh, producing resources and uh, tools for those who are walking uh, through mental health health illnesses, um, uh, really practical, fun, everyday tools, uh, as well as signposting to uh, other um, uh, clinical um, uh, help and and support in that way as well. So a vast range uh, of things uh, that Dr. Kate Middleton uh, is involved in. Um, uh, And so uh, Kate is going to be continuing our series uh, on God of the Ages, and so I'm going to hand over to her. So, But could we uh, give her a massive warm welcome as she comes to share? Thank you so much, John. It's really lovely to be back. So hello to the familiar faces. And if I've not met you before, what John didn't do was a Kate Middleton joke, which I'm grateful for, but is unusual because I am the other Kate Middleton. I went to an event uh, last week in Lambeth Palace, which is where the Archbishop of Canterbury lives and works from. And uh, so they have like proper security on the door. And when I got there, they take your name. And so I said, oh, it's uh, Kate Middleton. And they went... Oh, they're like, we're so relieved because we've been thinking like, we do not have enough security for this person to come and visit. And they're like, it's you. I'm like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, so we are here talking as part of your fabulous series looking at this verse in Exodus 34. And we've come to it out of a season that is all about gifts. I wonder, how did your Christmas gift giving and gift receiving go? Did you get all the things on your Christmas list? Did you enjoy your gifts? Were they good? What about the ones you gave? Did they go down well? My best Christmas gift this year was from my 11-year-old son. He bought me a robot vacuum cleaner. Not with his own money, by the way. Someone else funded that. It's so cool. Literally, he He texted me this morning to say that while I am here, Poodle, which is what he's named it, is cleaning my living room. I love it. The best thing about my robot vacuum cleaner is that it comes with an 11-year-old boy who is slightly obsessed with it. And I found the way to get my kids to do some cleaning because he's totally obsessed with this vacuum. But sometimes the gifts we give don't go down so well, do they? My uh, eldest, my daughter, she's 18 now. And I remember when she was about three, one of those quite pressured gift-giving moments, you know, where everybody's gathered round watching the person unwrapping the gift. Do any of you do Christmas that way? My husband's family is very large and it's it's, it's quite daunting. And she was unwrapping this gift, age three. And it's just the age where those of us who are parents, you're like trying to teach them something about being generally civilised and maybe grateful. So it's quite tense. She unwrapped this gift and it was a child's cutlery set. And there was this pause moment where she was like, just looking at this gift and everybody's like on the end and the gift giver's like, "Ah." and she just looked and she went, but this isn't a present. (laughs) And so we were like, oh, look at this. Let's give the next gift. This is awkward. Anyway, but I wonder, thinking about gifts, what is the best gift you could ever give someone? 
Like if I think about my kids, my now grown-up daughter, like what's the best gift I could give her as she goes out into the world? What's the best gift you've ever received or could ever receive? Hold that in your mind, because as we journey through this morning, we're going to come full circle back to that. So this amazing verse that you guys are looking at, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Today, we are focusing on that word, gracious. And grace is one of those churchy buzzwords. My kid reckons, my kids reckon there's a whole load of language that we use in the church that they're like, no one else says this, mum. Like we talk about lots of things. We talk about things like, I mean, you can play like Christian buzzword uh, top trumps over coffee later. Things like holding the tension, yeah? Do they say that here? There's some chuckling. Or we're going through a season. My, My daughter's like, yeah, no one else uses that language. Grace is one of these words that we use a lot in the church, but how often do we pause and think about what this really means? One thing we know is that this thing of being gracious is core to God's character. Maybe in the Christmas season you caught that famous reading from John 1, which ends with this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that verse says, we have seen his glory. It's a beautiful, rich word, which doesn't just mean we sort of saw it in passing. It's like, we have been slightly obsessed by this. We have pondered it. We have contemplated it. We have thought deeply about this. And that's what we want to do today with this concept of grace, with this thing that's core to God's character. So much of our challenge in this world and life is that we are people on the earth and we're trying to understand and capture a world and a reality and a God that's so far beyond us and our reality. So what is grace? So the verses that I want us to focus on today are from Romans, if you're following along, or they're on the screen, Romans chapter 3. And this is quite a famous passage, so you might have heard it before. It says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Now, there's quite a lot of complicated concepts in there. So brace yourselves. We are going to do some theology this morning, but it's like theology light. So what I'm going to do is go through some of those important concepts one at a time, and we'll think about what they actually mean. So number one is sin. So sin, here's this word again that we talk about a lot in the church. It doesn't come up a lot in other life, perhaps. What is sin? What do we mean by sin? And to truly understand sin, you have to go back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of the human story, the beginning of the the big story of the Bible. Right back at the beginning, in fact, in Genesis, the first two verses. 
what we see is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But at the beginning, the earth is formless and empty. Darkness is over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God is hovering over those waters. That ancient Hebrew, what it talks about is a sort of primitive creation, this fleeting moment when there was this incredible potential in creation, but it was all chaos. Literally, the Hebrew there does talk of chaos. And what God does as he speaks, hovering over that chaos, is he brings order out of chaos and light out of darkness, and he creates the potential for life to flourish, everything in perfect balance. And God's heart from the very beginning, as he creates humanity, is always to have actual genuine relationship with his people. And that story of Eden is the story of everything in its perfect balance and God walking among his people. But we know from that story that it goes wrong because human beings, our desires, our hearts, we quite often turn our focus from God. And what happens in that story is that something else enters the world. Sin enters the world. Evil enters the world. That chaos returns to creation. Now, what am I going on about this for? What's this got to do with sin? Well, the Greek word used in the New Testament for sin is a word that's actually taken from archery. I don't know if anybody's like a bow and arrow-y person. It makes me think Legolas from Lord of the Rings. But it's, it's the word that describes what happens when you pull back the bow with the arrow and you've got the perfect shot lined up and the arrow soars through the air and it's looking great and then right at the last minute, it falls short. It misses the target. And this is the description of what's, what's gone wrong, if you like, in the world. Our biggest challenge as human beings, we aim well, we want to be better people, but so often we just fall short. We just don't manage to be the perfect versions of ourselves. And it's not just us individually, though we all have examples of that probably every day, if we're honest. But the whole of humanity, we have fallen short of this beautiful dream that God had. And that impact of of this force, the Bible talks of it as a force almost of sin and chaos that's woven through creation. We see the impact of that in so many places, don't we? Chaos that bubbles up, disorder, violence, evil, difficulty, pain, suffering. Elsewhere, Paul, who wrote Romans, he's the guy who wrote that teaching. He says we're like slaves to sin. We're sort of caught under its influence. It's hard to get out. So sin, this sense of falling short, is woven into our story as human beings. What's the second word then? It's sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is another complicated biblical concept. You might see on the screen a picture of the ancient altar. This is one of the altars that has been um, dug up in archaeological studies from ancient Israel. And the Old Testament talks a lot about sacrifice. There was this rhythm, this ritual of sacrificing animals and things to God. Why? It's so hard to understand. So if we carry that ancient story on, we can understand a bit. 
So God is so desperate to be able to live with his people, but the challenge of the Old Testament is that God is holy, God is perfect. And alongside that force of evil, evil is so incompatible with everything that God is that it's like the two can't coexist. And this makes it really dangerous, actually, for people to have the living presence of God Almighty amongst them. It's like seriously risky. What you see in the Old Testament is this story of God who who tries to start with one man and one family from which grows one nation, a special people. And God teaches them how to live by all these rules and regulations and rituals to stay what they call clean, to try and keep this, this force of chaos out of the camp, out of the people, so that they can have God living among them to get back to that beautiful picture that we had in Eden. But again and again, the story is that this force of sin and chaos just comes back because as human beings, we just, we are flawed, we're frail, we fall short. So you see again and again that there are limits of how close God can get. The people are told not to get too close to him. There are really strict rules. If you read Leviticus, it's literally mind-numbing. The number of rules and regulations that these people had to live by to try and keep this force of chaos and its consequences from them. And of course, if they did it wrong, this was serious. They would die. This was like a death force. It's, it's the critical Achilles heel of human beings. Elsewhere in Genesis, God says that the, the, the bubbling up of this literally pushes humanity to the brink of its own destruction. It's, it's a really resonant story in our world right now where we see so much chaos and violence in the world. And what sacrifice did is something that's hard for us to understand, but the the, the blood as a symbol of life somehow seemed to balance out this symbol of death that otherwise was so risky for them. And so what happens in the New Testament is God's eternal plan starts to come to fruition, a way that they don't have to keep doing this, because of course the Old Testament is a tragic story. The people keep messing up. The the distance between them and God just gets bigger because this force is so powerful among them. I have a a chronological Bible that I read um, every year. It goes through the Bible like in in the the order that all the stories happened. And there's this moment in like October, which is so depressing because you just get into all of the prophets like predicting doom and all the people are messing up and it's just terrible. And you're literally like hands and knees desperate and it's just going worse and worse and worse. And then between the Old and New Testament, actually there's a gap of about 200 years 300 years, where God was literally just silent. It went black. It went quiet. And oh my goodness, the relief in my chronological Bible when you flick to the next page. Actually, it's on my Kindle, so I like click. Uh, and, and, and suddenly I'm in Matthew's Gospel and it's like, thank the Lord Jesus is here. It's going to get better. And that's literally what happened. Jesus comes as this person who is fully divine, but also fully human. God willing to live under all the limitations of what it is to be human. And Jesus, Romans 3 tells us, that he becomes a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. 
that somehow when Jesus dies on the cross and is willing to do that as a human being, but also as God, he fulfills once and for all this need for sacrifice. He is like the ultimate life force given to defeat this death force that's woven through humanity. God loves us so much that he willingly on the cross takes responsibility for a situation which is actually our making. He is willing to bear the weight and awfulness of sin and pain and death and darkness. And we hear him crying out in pain like many of us may have done where we face situations in life that just feel so wrong, so far from God's dream. The whole world has fallen so short of what was God's dream, that sin and sickness and death and tragedy, we cry out sometimes because they just feel so wrong. And we see Jesus on the cross experiencing the ultimate pain of that. Rowan Williams puts it like this. He says, Jesus' sacrifice somehow casts a veil over the sin or sickness or disorder of an individual or of a whole people. It removes the consequences of sin. It offers the possibility of a relationship unclouded by guilt with God. It is a gift that stands between God and the failures or disorder of the world. So Jesus presents himself as this ultimate sacrifice. All right, we've done two big theological concepts. Are you still with me? Okay, good, that was a bit slow, but I think you're just about still with me. The next one is justification. So the verse says, all are justified freely by his grace. I mean, as if we didn't need another tricky concept. What does that mean that we're justified? So my uh, 11-year-old son, I, as you all have gathered, have two children. My 18-year-old takes after my husband. Uh, she absolutely has always loved school. She loves nothing better than overachieving. She's very excitable. She gets very eager about it. She loves a test. Let's have a test. That's a great idea. She does very well in tests. She's actually on a gap year at the moment, and her biggest challenge has been having nothing to overachieve at. For She's like, I just feel adrift. What's life? about. Anyway, it's very good for her. My son, well, let's just say he takes a bit more after me. He's a bit more laid back. As far as he's concerned, life is about more than just tests. (sighs) Yes, he is now at secondary school though, so he is doing some tests and he had one uh, not in the last term because he's just started year seven. It's a new school and he was being streamed for maths I think some subject or other and um, I overheard a conversation between my husband and him my husband who also loves tests and he was like how did it go and Nathan my son was like yeah 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 it was great it was great dad it was great so my husband's like what did you get he's like oh did they tell me I think maybe they told me and so my husband's like what did you get in the test so Nathan was like oh yeah it was great dad it was um, like 18 out of 20 And my husband, with perhaps uncharitable shock, was like, wow, really? You got 18 out of 20? That's amazing, because he's basically done no work. (sighs) And then my son, I overheard, said, well, it could have been three. (laughs) And my husband is like, despair is rising. He's like, well, which was it? (sighs) 
When you are justified, what it means literally is like you, you are judged as though you did amazing when in fact you might not have done. It's the equivalent of scoring 10 out of 10, 20 out of 20 on your maths test when actually maybe you didn't do as much work as you should have done and you're, well, we could say failings. I think his being laid back is a gift to the world, but actually something in you means you didn't score as well as you should. It's like getting a book, being told that you scored a bullseye when actually your arrow fell short. You are judged as though you were righteous, as though you were perfect when you're not. This is what Jesus' sacrifice enabled. Before God, we can stand as flawed, frail human beings, but we're justified, we're graded on something Jesus did, not on what we've done. This is the gift of grace. That's what grace is about. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, even in our state of sin, we are justified or judged by Jesus' actions, not by our own and by his righteousness, his beautiful, holy perfection instead of our own slightly shambolic humanness. So the question is, what does this mean? In practice, to us, stood in Southampton, January 2024, facing the big wide world that there is. And what we need to talk about this morning is some tricky stuff. It's the impact of when we know as human beings that we are actually not as great as we wish we were. Maybe we are aiming really high at something, we're trying to get it right. We're trying to be good people, we're trying to get a good degree, we're trying to be good parents, we're trying to get through, but we know we keep falling short. We're trying to have good relationships, but then we get frustrated and we yell and we're not the best version of ourselves, or we think we're doing well in our degree, and then, like my son, there's that test, and maybe we should have studied more. And the thing is, our culture is so brutal on us. Our culture again and again tells us a story that says, actually, you guys, to, to do well in life, you have to achieve like way up there. Like the pressure is phenomenal. You are supposed to be this perfected version of yourself. You're supposed to score so highly in everything, have this amazing social life, a brilliant career, the perfect relationships. And you're also supposed to look amazing, by the way. And, and our social media culture just encourages that and puts pressure on us. One of the things that my daughter felt she had to do in her gap year was just come off it. Because she, it's just, she's just like, it's so hard to feel like you're just not a complete mess. Because you're not constantly achieving or doing brilliant things that you can put on there. And social media does this to us. But also, we're living in a world that, if you haven't noticed, is a bit of a shambles. That chaos is bubbling up everywhere. So we've lived through pandemic, and now we're in... Like my son asked me the other day, I can't even remember what it was, but he was like, this country, whichever it was, he's like, are we at war with them? And I'm like, do you know what, mate? I've slightly lost track of who's fighting who, and it's just, it's all a mess. I was like, we just need to pray for peace. And, and so we're living life under the pressure of a huge amount of uncertainty and unpredictability and challenge. You know, it feels like such a different world as, as my daughter comes of age from what it was when I did, which was a while ago. 
And what this does for so many people, and probably for all of us to some degree, is it raises challenges around things like guilt and shame, like I should be better at this, I should be doing better, but also this this nagging fear, this anxiety, like what if I stuff this all up? What if I don't do well enough? Or what if something goes wrong and I just don't get that job or I don't get the uni offer or something happens to my family or, or I fall ill and I'm not able to be that super energetic, amazing person. Under the pressure to hit the bullseye every time we can start to crack because it's just so hard. There's a, a, an old theologian who I absolutely love, A.W. Tozer, and he says this about grace. He says, the Christian gospel is a message of freedom through grace. You know, those emotions, the guilt, the fear, the anxiety, the pressure, they are the opposite of grace. What if you could give people the gift of freedom from those things? What if you didn't have to feel that nagging, terrifying pressure to hit the bullseye every time? What if, of course, your life is oriented to trying, but you also knew that on the days you failed and it just felt like it was all falling apart, you also knew it was okay. God had you covered. Elsewhere, in, later on in Romans, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are covered by this amazing grace, this act of sacrifice that Jesus did. That's the freedom. You can sit here in St Mary's this morning and even if you never achieve another thing in your life, even if you are a complete shambles or if you never manage to do any of the things that you hope and dream to do, you're covered. Jesus' sacrifice covered you. Even on the days when it feels the weight and impact of the world's chaos just feels almost unbearable, the the level of darkness and difficulty that you're hearing on the news or reading about, it's okay, God has got this. I love what Juliet, wasn't it, what she said, you know, there is a message here, there's a hope, there's an anchor we can have, a promise that God has got this world. He's got it covered. We don't see the full impact of that yet, but one day the Bible promises a day when there will be no more crying, no more sorrow, and no more pain. And that's something we hold on to. This is grace, this big, complicated concept. And the Bible tells us grace is the gift of God. So we started by thinking, what's the greatest gift you could ever have? What's the greatest gift you could give to someone? And I wonder if what God wants to give you today is the amazing gift of freedom. I wonder what you're carrying today. We all have things. We all have those little things that, you know, at three in the morning, they get you. Most of the the rest of the time you're okay, but then three in the morning you're like, oh my goodness, this is a disaster, I'm so worried about this. Maybe there's something that you feel like you're trying, but you just, I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough, parent. I'm not sure I'm going to pass this module. You know, the things that we're holding where we think we feel like we're falling short. What if God wants to give you a gift today of freedom from that nagging anxiety, the guilt, the shame of feeling like, I'm not good enough. So often we fear our frailty because we're in a world that tells us we should be super people. God wants to say today, you do not need to fear your frailty. Accept my gift of freedom Live by my grace. I'm going to just pray and then I'll hand back 
to John. You might want to just close your eyes if that's something that helps you just not be distracted by what's going on around you. God is here. That's another wonder, another mystery that in this space, in this human bit of the earth in Southampton, we can also connect with the divine, with heaven. And you might, as you sit, want to just clench your fists. Hold your hands in a fist. This represents the things that we hold so tightly. We so want to be better at. We so want this situation to be better. We so want this person to be healed or to see breakthrough in this thing or to do better at that thing. You hold your fists and clench them tightly and the Lord says, just open your hands out. Maybe you want to do that now. Just open your hands out to him and feel that tension go. Feel your shoulders settle. Sit and rest today in the gift of God. His grace, his love, his compassion for you that says you are free from the pressure and the worry this morning. Lord God, we thank you so much that we do not do this life alone. We thank you that this world is in your hands. We thank you that every life represented in this building is in your hands. And as we name before you situations, people, pressures, we thank you that we can know that you've got them. Thank you for your gift of grace. Thank you that you see us as so much better than we are. Thank you that you loved us enough to save us and that your presence is with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Amen.